Welcome to Courageous Parenting Podcast, a weekly show to equip parents with biblical truth on raising confident Christian kids in an uncertain world. Hi, I'm Angie from Courageous Mom. And I'm Isaac from Resolute Man. We've been married for 21 years and have seen the fruit from raising our eight kids biblically based on the raw truth found in the Bible. We can no longer let the culture win the hearts of children. Too many children from Christian families are walking away from their faith by age 18. And it doesn't have to be this way. It shouldn't be this way. Join us as we start an important conversation about effective parenting in the following world. Hey everyone, we are so appreciative you're back for the podcast here. We're talking about dad reflections on pregnancy and birth six days after having their ninth. So just me today, Angie's taking a break uh, postpartum, which is needed and important and she deserves the time with our new baby and uh, not doing too much. And so we're really, really focusing on her health and keeping Angie healthy, babies healthy, and we're praising God for all of that. We want to thank you too. All of your prayers, your encouragement, your support, we have felt it. And it really, really is amazing because God had mercy on Angie in the birth. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, we're so happy you're part of this movement. Really Courageous Parenting is God's thing. It's not ours. It's a movement we're a part of with you. And we feel prompted by the Spirit since the beginning to impact 1 million legacies or 1 million families and their legacies, even a better way to say that. And you just think about how do you impact people for the gospel? Well, parenting is probably the most profound way to do that. And most of the problems that we're experiencing in the world, you could trace back to problems with parenting, actually. And it's also a spiritual problem. There's spiritual warfare happening, and too many kids are falling away after they launch from Christian homes. And so this is really a ministry to combat that with truth and with practical support and encouragement and biblical sound truth and doctrine. So that is our focus. You've been part of it with us, some of you, just over two years since we started, and some of you might be new listeners, and welcome. Uh, there's over 128 or nine episodes, I believe, on all kinds of topics, and we're constantly, even from day one, trying to bring the most relevant information for raising kids in the way things are today with the age-old truth of the Bible and biblical truth. And so, you know what's interesting about the Bible? The, the more I read it, and as you read it lately, the more relevant it is. As we get closer and closer to Jesus coming back, the Bible becomes more and more relevant. It's really awesome. It is so cool. And it, it, a lot of things, right, that were written in the past, they become less relevant as time goes on. And as time goes on, the Bible actually becomes more relevant. I just think it's really another proof that it's God's word. Okay, so I just want to say, by the way, the ninth kid, we never set out to have a large family. We don't come from large families, and we, I, I frankly, was not really a kid person. I wasn't around kids growing up. Uh, babies were foreign to me, and, you know, Angie uh, wasn't necessarily one of those people that's just like, wow, she's a kid person and she's going to have a lot of kids. I don't think anybody ever brought that to her attention when she was young. But, you know, God had a plan for us. And we also believe that God has a unique plan for every family. And so we're not ever speaking from a perspective 
that people should have a family that looks just like ours. We would never think that and never say that. Everybody has their own plan and their own things to consider and so forth. But what is true for everyone is we all should be obedient to the Lord and we shouldn't make decisions out of fear and we shouldn't make decisions out of selfishness. And that has been our approach and we take it one child at a time. And for us, that meant a big family. So we love every single one of our kids. It's amazing. And one of the things, we're going to go into some reflections here, talk about the birth, teamwork, and the, the challenge of too many women do pregnancy and birth alone, meaning the husbands aren't as involved as they could be, which would encourage a more dynamic marriage and teamwork and the potentiality of desire of even more kids in some cases. So, but, you know, sometimes you can have this feeling of there's, there's three things. How can I have time for my kids as I have another kid, right? That can be a thought. You can have, how can my love stretch to more kids? And how can my money stretch to providing for more kids? These are some things that people think about sometimes. I, uh, praise God, I haven't thought about those things too much over the years. I would say when I was younger in marriage, probably the money thing was thought about, considered, but never was a reason for decision. What I've noticed actually was really, really cool is that God means what he says. He gives promises in the Bible that he will provide. He is the provider. And if he is blessing us, you, with a child, then he's going to help you provide for that child. And it does take faith because sometimes you're like, hey, our budget is it can't expand right now. Like there isn't extra money. But you know what I've, what I've experienced? I've experienced plenty. I've experienced not enough as a provider. And I've experienced, you know, just where it's real tight. And, you know, all every scenario we've experienced in the financial side over the years. And one thing I've seen is that God always provides. It's not always the way I think it's going to happen, but he always does. My kids have always been fed. They've never missed a meal, and they always have had a roof over their head because I believe that he's the provider, and we have faith, and we also, you know, will work hard. But I never make that decision. Now, hey, new baby here. Uh, the name of our baby, ready? This is one of the big responsibilities of parents. And it's interesting because we, in, in naming our new baby, we reflected, Angie and I, about all the names of our kids and re-looked up all the meanings. We knew most of them, all of them probably, Angie more than me. But we reflected on the details of their meanings and we witnessed now that all of them align with the meanings of their names. So it really is an interesting thing that I think God has a name for kids and he prompts us to give them those names. So we take it seriously. We actually named our baby yesterday on the fifth day of his life, uh, because we wanted to meet him first. We had ideas beforehand and so forth, and we reflected on that. And his name is Xander, Z-A-N-D-E-R. It's a unique name, and it means defender of man. And so we are thinking defender of mankind. And then his middle name is Malachi, so Xander Malachi Tolpin. And Malachi means messenger of the Lord. So we were just reflecting. And we're like, okay, it's going to be like 2039 when Xander launches from our home. 
And so what is the world going to need in 2039? He's the, we believe the world's going to need a defender of mankind and a messenger of the Lord. How much change is going to happen between now and then? I have no fear about it. It's really interesting. I get excited about change. And I, we already know, you know certain things are going to get worse. And there's things that we don't know about that are going to get worse. And then there's certain things that are going to get better, like spiritual, the light gets lighter and the dark gets darker, right? As we go towards end times. And really, it, we, we should not be concerned with the challenges we experience in this world for the glory of God. We should be concerned with the spiritual place that our children are in. And we as parents should do everything we can to equip and and point our kids to the Lord and be a good examples and disciple them. And parents aren't the ones that save their children. Only God can do that. But parents have the biggest influence. And you are the God-authorized influencers in your kids' lives. And he does. God does want us to disciple, to train up our kids in the way they should go, right? So as long as we do all that we can, we hope for the best that our kids have an intimate, uh, personal relationship with God, and that carries in after they launch, and they live a life that glorifies Him, and people come to know God because of your children. And regardless of circumstances, regardless of what's happening in the world, we believe it's a great time to have kids. There's a little reflection for you in the intro here. And by the way, all this stuff, the point of some of that was me as a dad, this is new to me as when I was a new dad with our first, right? And I've had to learn over the years how to be a father, how to be a spiritual leader, how to take care of my wife when she's in postpartum, how to be part of a birth, how to encourage her during the pregnancy and, and uh, make her feel confident in the, the labor that, that's to come and to prepare my other kids. And I've had to learn all these things over time. I'm not perfect at any of this stuff, but I try to learn from my mistakes and move forward and learn from books and learn from the Bible and grow spiritually and all these things. So I say that to say we should never, as men, say, I wasn't raised with a father like so-and-so. So that's my excuse. I wasn't raised understanding these things. At a certain point, you can't blame your parents for anything. You are your own person created by God. And if you're an adult, you have resource, abundant resources available. And when it really comes down to it, if we're not doing something, we have to take responsibility for that and not say, I wasn't raised or have some kind of excuses from our past. I was just re uh, reading uh, Philippians to my kids the other day. And let's see if I can find it real quick right here. Yeah, I found it. Sweet. Good. God is good. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. And I, I was just uh, teaching this to my kids. It's in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. So I would look at that because it literally says right there, forgetting what lies behind. What's behind you is irrelevant straining forward for the call of Christ. We should not be limiting what we can do for the glory of God because of our past. Paul, who wrote this, had the worst past. He was killing Christians. 
He was the worst. He says this in Philippians and other places. I was the worst of the worst. But God loved me, and it's a clean slate with God. And I'm a saint in God's eyes because of Jesus Christ, is what we should all believe. And therefore, I'm not going to take the baggage or the limitations of the past or the bad experiences or make excuses based on someone else not teaching me something or anything like that when we're an adult, okay? Super, super important. He even talks about this is the way of a mature person in there in Philippians is to, is to believe in this way. So I just want to encourage you that no matter what has happened to you, we can all learn and, and grow. Okay, let's talk about the birth here. You know, Angie was 11 days, 11 or 12 days overdue when she had the child. That's happened before. The most she's ever gone overdue was two weeks, I believe. We have a great midwife. Her name is Janice, and she was super supportive, super helpful, super experienced. And Angie, you know, she wrote Redeeming Childbirth. She is the creator of one of the most popular courses on postpartum, the Christian postpartum course. If you're interested in those things, you can go to CourageousMom.com. And she is highly talented and highly educated. She's been a doula for people before, and she's still learning. She learned a lot in this birth. I can't wait for her to share it with you guys. I'm sure she will. And Janice was a point of good resource to learn more, and she was very, very helpful. Angie had pr primordial labor, meaning not active labor, but for a couple of weeks leading up, there was consistent and then sometimes sporadic and Sometimes it would die out for a day or two labor pains and, and those kinds of things. And we had a couple thoughts, okay, here, here we go. And then it wouldn't happen. And that's pretty normal. Uh, but, you know, praise God, active labor was about 40 minutes. One of the things that's really cool is that we have proof of this with nine pregnancies. I've seen have been part of all of them in one way or another uh, with Angie. Uh, she birthed all of the kids naturally, but it a little differently in different ways. And it's, it's really amazing because they all are different. Her longest act of labor was 16 hours, right? That was tough. That was a tough deal. Uh, she's been in the hospital for three days with contractions, uh, and then active labor for eight hours. That was with Solomon. He was, uh, just an interesting point on Solomon. He's our five-year-old right now. And, what a gift from God at a unique time of just complete financial disaster in my life as a provider. Lost everything financially shortly after he was born. It was looking imminent that way when he was born. And um, God provided and took us out of that, with, you know, having our seventh child. It was amazing. And he was a beacon of hope for us. It was just such an encouragement to our family. Uh, it was definitely the worst possible financial time to have another child. Uh, but God's in control, and we've put him as our king and in control of things, uh, and it's been amazing. But he he came out in the call. If you've heard of what that means, it, the, the sack was completely intact. So she uh, birthed him. He came out, and literally the entire sack is perfect around him. It's not torn or broken anywhere, and he's 10.4 pounds, our heaviest, our biggest kid that Angie had labored. And it was just incredible. And then he fist pumped it out of it. He lifted his fist and ruptured it. And I was just so impressed with Solomon. He was, it was amazing. Um, what, a, what a tough, tough thing for Angie, but she did so well and birthed him naturally. And 
um, as, as with the rest. And that was in the hospital actually. And, um, you know, three years ago, we almost lost Angie too. I'm just reflecting on some of the experiences and I'll bring you back to this one that we, we just experienced, but it was around three years ago, maybe four years ago. We, we almost lost Angie, uh, during pregnancy and in, during the process of losing the baby and she lost over 50%, I think even more than that, over 50% of her blood in her body. And it was very, very bleak. The only solution was to have a blood transfusion uh, to save Angie's life. And it was a, a scary time, but we trusted the Lord and she made it through it. And that was a tough time. We didn't know if we would be open to having more kids after that. That was a traumatic experience. That was a dangerous situation. That was a very tough thing. And guys, we do have a responsibility to protect our wives. That is a prudent decision, a prudent reason sometimes to stop having kids. If you believe it's too dangerous, if there's evidence that it's too dangerous to have more kids, um, that is a prudent reason. But we felt the Lord, uh, af- you know, long after that, uh, we felt the Lord calling us to be open to more kids. And I'm so thankful we did because we have Eli and now we have Xander. And we're so happy. We're rejoicing. We love these kids so much. And God has a unique purpose for them in this world. Uh, we've also had babies in different places. So we've done, um, and I'll share kind of my favorite uh, experience, but we've done the hospital several times. We've done midwife centers, you know, where they have like a fake bedroom set up with a tub and the midwives are there. Uh, we've done, we've done that several times, we've done the hospital several times, and we just had our first home birth actually doing it at home, which was good, a good, wise decision. I would say Angie made that decision and I supported it because I think she, I think it's important for her to decide where she wants to have the baby, but it made sense. And in likely we would have had Xander in a car if we didn't decide ahead of time to have him at home because we don't have a hospital. The hospital's 50 minutes away and active labor only lasted 40 minutes. Okay. So that ended up being a wise decision ahead of time. We got to be tapped into the spirit. We got to be growing strong with the Lord so we can make good decisions. So the spirit prompt us, prompts us. And we don't know until later why the deeper, more important reason why we made the decision we did until later. And now we're like seeing it. Okay. 40 minutes of active labor, 50 minutes away for a hospital, that ended up being a critically good decision. Although, you know, we could have done it in a car and made that work. It would not have been ideal, as you can imagine. So we've done different places. I really loved this home birth. It was so great just to be in our own bedroom, in our own bed, uh, to be at home with the kids and the kids supporting us, the kids making meals, bringing them to us, uh, a deeper family involvement, although some of our kids have been involved with many of the births. The, the gals, have, our daughters have been in various ones. And, and again, this time they were both part of it, which is great. But um, it's just, it's, it was just a sweet, sweet time and a sweet experience. We really, really are glad we did it that way. So a little bit of details about the birth. So it happened quick, you know. I, I, you know, it was so neat because we, Angie and I have experienced this together so many times that when she started going into active labor, she started, you know, there was times where I was standing up with her and she, her, her arms were draped over my shoulders and her head was on my chest and I was just rocking with her. 
you know, and her to her rhythm that, you know, she's, you know, allowing her body to work and allowing uh, things to loosen up and for the baby to come and she's having contractions and I'm reaching over and rubbing her back and we're swaying and it was just such a sweet experience as we were in sync together. And I think that experience of so many births doing things together like this uh, has led to just this really fluid experience. And husbands, I would encourage you to get as involved as you can and to understand and to experience that with your wife. And as you have, as you experience teamwork in birth, the next time it's even better because you have experience together. And so I think you want to you want to do that. It's such a, a enriching experience for your marriage. It's a sweet time. She even, Angie really understood what was happening. She's like, filled the tub and we barely got the tub full when she, you know, just in time for her to plop in. And, you know, then we're, you know, we're encouraging her to breathe slowly. And, and Janice locked eyes with her, the midwife, and was just coaching her on her breathing and, and, and focusing and so forth. And Megan and I are, Steve and I realized that we were getting too comfortable with the world's vision of how to raise our children. What Angie and Isaac have done in creating this is literally phenomenal. This program provided awesome scripture-based teachings and just some really great practical applications. This class has just really rocked my world. It has given me a vision for not just the different things that we might focus on as parents who are trying to raise our kids biblically, like how our kids are behaving or what we're doing with discipline, but also the things of the heart. We now have a game plan to how we want to raise our children. We have so many answers to the questions that have been in our mind. It's not just these hypothetical situations or it's not just this, here's what I think you should do. It's let me show you where in scripture this is. Do your legacy a favor and yourself a favor and just do it. One of the best things that we've done this year, one of the best investments we've made this year, and I could not recommend it more. We're no longer fearing dark days ahead, but we're so excited to raise lights to be leaders for the next generation. Rubbing her back and encouraging her with words and uh, praying for her, praying over her and we pushed on her, um, on her, uh, on her backside uh, to kind of uh, put pressure to open better. And we were doing that uh, together, Megan and I, to help Angie, and it definitely helped her. So a lot of good things. And then boom, she had a couple of uh, maybe two and a half big contractions in the tub, maybe three outside of the tub before that, three or four, and boom, head out, and baby came. Right. And he came out and, and Angie pulled the baby up to her chest herself. And what a, an amazing experience. It happened very quickly, only 19 minutes in the tub and boom, baby's here. It was such a great thing. I'm going to not tell you all the details because, of course, Angie wants to do that. But I don't know about you guys that are listening. But when I first our first child, uh, Kelsey, we had in the hospital, and but we had Barbara Harper help us with uh, Birthing International, I believe it is. She brought a tub into the hospital room, and I didn't know this. I don't know if Angie knew this, but they'd never done a, a tub birth there at that hospital at the time. And this is in the Portland area, outer Portland area. The The nurse there was really into it, um, or the, maybe she was a midwife on staff there. But she was really into it, and she kind of shut the door and encouraged the doctors. Everything was fine because I think she wasn't sure if it was okay that there was a tub there. But Angie and I were in the tub together that time, that very first time. And I will tell you, as a husband, I'm like, I'm getting in this. It's going to get bloody and messy. And, you know, I had these selfish thoughts. And 
you know, what am I supposed to do? I have no idea what I'm supposed to do to help my wife. I mean, we've talked about it, but we've, neither of us have been through the experience before. And I just remember that, but I'm so glad I got in the tub with her. I'm so glad that uh, I was able to, to, to massage her and help her. I'm so glad that I was able to be right next to her in the tub that first time we had a baby. You know, it was just amazing. And Kelsey was born. What a, what a touching experience. And so we started that way. We started with me being involved, even though I had no idea what I was doing. But you know what? Experience is the greatest trainer. I always believe you just have to jump in to things, even if there's unknowns, even if it's uncomfortable, and embrace it. Because that is how you grow. That is how you learn. And that is how you figure things out. So let's talk about teamwork for a second. As I said, uh, all this stuff, you know, having kids and pregnancy and birth, all new experiences for me. And, um, but, you know, James 1.5 says it super well. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So you've heard people give sermons on this. It's a popular piece of scripture. But I love James, the book of James, and I love this part of it. Because we can ask for wisdom, and God will give it to us generously. He'll get, he wants us to have wisdom. But a lot of times the wisdom he's going to give is counterintuitive. It's counter to what we naturally want to do. It's counter to what we naturally even believe we should do sometimes. And so we have to let the Bible saturate our minds and Bible saturate our thinking because if we don't, our selfishness will set in as husbands and we won't be as supportive as we need to be for our wives. I know that that first experience, I remember the selfishness coming in was we were, you know, we got pregnant four months after being married. So we hadn't been married all that long. And here we are in a, a blow up birthing tub together, uh, doing something neither of us had done before. And it brought us together. And I remember that first time just in awe of my wife, just like, wow, she is amazing. Look at what she's willing to do to bring a child into the world. Look at her perseverance. Look at her faith in God. Look at her crying out to God in prayer. Look at her worshiping God as she has this child. My respect and appreciation for my wife skyrocketed because I was involved, because I was there, really involved in seeing how she approached to this. It was amazing. This this can be, when you have a sense of teamwork and pregnancy and birth, it can bring your marriage together. You can have this feeling together. You can do anything together. And it's an encouragement to be able to have more kids and be more open to that too when you're doing it together. So I think that's super important. Uh, another thing that's interesting for, for the guys is your spiritual leadership is really exposed. So what I mean by that is the strength and weaknesses of your spiritual leadership is on full display. And there's other people in the room. There's doctor, nurse, maybe a midwife, maybe a friend, uh, uh, you know, maybe your wife's mom who, who might be in there. And people are seeing, this is where the roadwork shows. Are you comfortable praying publicly? Are you comfortable praying over your wife? Are you comfortable in understanding of where things are in the Bible? To, to share a scripture at a, at a good time. Um, your spiritual leadership is really exposed. And so 
you might audit yourself and just think about that. You know, why am I not willing to be more involved? If that's the case, maybe you are super involved and you're like, yes, amen, amen to everything I'm saying here. But you know, your spiritual leadership is important. It is really important. God is real and he listens to our prayers and he wants us to rely on him and he wants us to act in ways that are spiritual. He, we, he wants us to follow him. He wants us to get his wisdom and do things differently than we normally would because we have his wisdom, because we're asking him for help, and because we're praying for our wives. Your wives need prayer. I remember praying over Angie many times that God would have mercy on her during this birth, this time as well. And look at that. He had mercy on her. Prayer answered. I'm not saying it's just because of me praying. I wouldn't be prideful like that, but I'm just excited that I got to be part of it. And that's super important. I have six tips under teamwork uh, that I think are super important for, for you guys. And I think the wives listening to this is super helpful too. The number one, and this is how you can be involved in, in birth. And this is also uh, postpartum as well. And during pregnancy, but definitely during birth, is support. Your support is incredible, incredibly important. A woman's confidence in having a baby is boosted by your support incredibly. One, they need to feel like the marriage is supported. They need to feel rock solid about your unending love for them, your commitment to them, and that how beautiful you believe your wife is. You need to say those things more during pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. It is super important. They know your eyes are on her and her only, 100%. Okay? That is really, really important. But active support during the birth. You can do this. I mean, I say all kinds of things. You're doing great. That contraction, you made great progress with that contraction. Great job. Wow, you're amazing. We're going to meet baby soon. Great work. I'm just trying to think of things I've said, but I, I, and these aren't even spiritual things, you know, but just in, just that support, that practical support. And I kind of went into my second point here. Oh, uh, other things on support. Okay. I'm kind of mixing them together. My second one is encouragement. My second tip for you guys, which I went into, but back on support real quick, practical support of keeping things clean, making sure she has enough water, um, all through the night too, you know, getting water for, for your bride and lots of good ice and, you know, food and cooking and, um, making sure the other kids are supported and catching her up that everything's taken care of. The other kids are happy. The other kids are being taken care of. So-and-so is watching them and you know, all these things, right? You don't want her mind divided. You don't want her mind to be, uh, have to be focused on other things. Okay. So lots of practice support. And the second thing is encouragement, which I said a lot of encouraging words already, uh, but spiritual encouragement too. You know, one of the things Angie wanted in this last birth is the big whiteboard in the room with lots of scriptures, um, so that we could say them when needed. But you know what? I think they ended up just being encouragements for her to read pre-birth. And um, I can't say that we, we read a lot of those during this birth. It happened so fast. It was like, boom, baby's here. But it, what a great idea to have encur encouraging scriptures up and uh, to, to remind her that God is in control and God will give her strength. I know leading up to this birth, you know, we're not young anymore. 
And Angie felt like she had the lowest amount of energy she had ever had leading up to this birth and several deep, hard conversations had to happen leading up to this birth. She was already overdue and we kept having, you know, heavy, but good conversations with people. Uh, some are older kids and, uh, others. And, you know, we were, I was trying to protect her and trying to keep things light and, and focused, but they were really unavoidable. And, and so she was, that was part of it. But part of it too was, is just lack of energy. She just felt like a lack of energy. And I, I would remind her that God will, give her energy. I'd pray for her that God would give her energy. And he did. He absolutely did. Uh, so encouragement. And the third thing, which I just kind of went into is prayer. When your wife hears you praying out loud for her, it's even more powerful than you directly encouraging her with the same words. Lord, would you give Angie strength is way more powerful than Angie, you are strong. Well, it's good to remind good qualities about your wife. Even more powerful when we get God involved. Wow. Because one is a responsibility to be strong. And the other is God, the creator, giving the strength. Because you know what? Your wife's not going to feel like she can muster up the strength. We need to be praying. Prayer is so important. God listens to all our prayers. He doesn't answer him in the way we want always, but he listens to him. He hears every prayer. He hears your prayers. And if it's in his will, he'll do it. Touch is the fourth tip I have for you guys in teamwork. Touch. Touch is so important, especially during birth. Your touch. First of all, laying hands on your wife and praying. The touching of your, of your wife, laying hands on her is key. Now, there might be certain moments in birth where she doesn't want you to touch her. So you have to be sensitive to that. But I found that I've found a rhythm with her because we've done it so many times and a comfortability that she usually wants me to touch her back. She wants me to rub her back and, and encourage um, her, uh, you know, sometimes holding her hand. Uh, when she was in the tub, we were holding hands together. Uh, touching is, is, is proof of love in a physical sense. It is such an important thing during like it's like I'm here with you you know of course of course you're not birthing the baby but you're there physically with her doing that you're massaging her you're um you're there's other things you can do you can learn I talked about in the beginning swaying I'm swaying with Angie and those kinds of things um which is really cool and the fifth thing is be an advocate for your wife when your wife is in birth in the process in the hospital or wherever you need me to advocate. You need to have a birth plan that you guys have made together. Even if your wife makes it, you've gone over it together. Uh, you've been interested and involved. You've prayed over it. And uh, you've thought through contingencies. If this happens, then this is what we're going to say yes to and no to to the doctor and those kinds of things. But when push comes to shove and you're at the hospital, you can't rely on your wife to be making hard decisions. She's the one with the pain and the challenge and... Um, the, the, the potentiality, in fact, I think this happens to just about every, every wife in, pregnant, in, in birth is at some point they're going to feel like they can't do it. And as Angie says, that's right when you turn the corner and you actually do it. That's a sign that the baby's coming quick. Um, but they, they're, there's going to be points where they, they believe they can't do it. And you have to be an advocate. They can't make hard decisions when they're believing that. You have to go through with the pre 
done plan. There's been so many times I've fended off doctors. Now we're believers in doctors and hospitals and we've had great experiences, but sometimes there's other agendas going on. Like, you know, we need this hospital bed at a certain time and it's gone a long time or the doctors knows he's busy and he's got lots of things to do. And so he wants to speed things up for his own agenda or there's money. The hospital's thinking about money or whatever the thing is. Um, sometimes they unnecessarily want to speed things up or do things that really aren't needed. And, but it'll feel like they're needed. And so you have to be strong. You have to be advocate. There's many times I've fended off doctors. I've said, no, we're not going to do Pitocin. We're not going to do this, this and that and the other thing. Super important. You got to be an advocate. You got to look out. You got to be her protector, most importantly, during this time. And you have to have the confidence and pre-planning and, and discussions so that you can be that advocate. And the sixth thing is you got to follow through. You got to follow through. So it's not just during birth but it's postpartum. Postpartum, they're going to need you more. It's not like, okay, now I'm just going back to work and I'm going to, you know, now there's certain, you might have to go back to work, but do everything you can for as long as you can after the baby's here to support practically your wife, bathe her in prayer and encouragement, love and devotion, um, to keep things light and not stressful, to support, to make sure you're doing, or someone else in, in combined effort with you is doing cooking, cleaning. They shouldn't be doing anything. And I've had to do this with Angie even recently is tell them not to do things. You know, Angie is prone to want to do laundry, for example. So we have to remind her and the older kids are prepped to remind her not to do things and we have to do them for her, but we have to be quicker sometimes to do things because if she sees things that aren't done, she wants them done. And so we have to be quicker at seeing things than maybe we normally are. Probably always should be quicker, right? So that's teamwork and it makes a big difference. And the final tip is too many moms do too much alone. And therefore, they maybe even secretly don't want to have more kids because of a lack of support from their husbands or a lack of support after they have the baby or these kinds of things. Postpartum depression is a real thing. That's why Angie made the postpartum course. It's incredible. It's helped over a thousand moms uh, to to heal naturally and to thrive during postpartum. You got to check that out. But it's it's too many do too much alone, leaving discouragement and a feeling of never wanting to go through that again. And I don't know that it's only never want to go through that again. Maybe they just never want to go through that again because they're not going to get the support. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe they haven't even recognized that, but it is part of it. You know, we need to live in an understanding way with our wives. You can look it up. First Peter 3, 7, a great scripture. Too many husbands aren't a team with their wives in the ways I've been talking about. You've got to be a team with your wife. And husbands aren't servant-hearted. We're to be servant-hearted, guys. It is super, super important that we're there for our wives. In Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ gave himself up for the church. And we as husbands are to give ourselves up for our wives in a servant-hearted kind of way. We are to love our wives that much. And love isn't just saying I love you. Love shows up in practical ways with a servant heart. We should be at service. We should put our selfishness aside, our need for sleep and these kinds of things. Well, you know what? Yeah, you got to go to work, but your wife 
has to take care of the family and this new baby. And so for a period of time, you should ask and have to rely on supernatural energy from God and not get sleep at night and still go to work if you have to and still be on at work and still get home and take care of everything for maybe a long period of time. You know what? Yeah, we need sleep, but not at the sacrifice of our wives having a horrible postpartum, getting depression, never wanting to have kids again, uh, and all of these things and having a hard time taking care of her family just because you think you need your sleep and all these things. I've even heard of husbands needing to sleep in a separate room so they aren't awoken at night. This kind of selfishness is horrible. We shouldn't do that. You know, we should believe that God will supply us with energy to work if we're to encourage our wives that God will supply them energy to have a baby. Okay? So I just think that's super important. We need to be supportive of our wives. And then in also in Ephesians 5, 28, it says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Are you husbands loving your wives? Hey, I'm not perfect at this either. Are you loving their, your, your wives as if your own bodies? And I just think, wow, that's powerful. It's hard. And don't let this discourage you if you feel like you should improve. No, don't be discouraged. Don't feel guilty. Apologize to your wife and repent to God and start changing. Show up different and support your wife. And if you're not having a baby, support your wife and all the other things. Be supportive. Treat our wives. This is independent. This isn't only about having babies, the scripture right here. This is marriage. And the stronger your marriage is, the more your marriage can be a light for Christ, the more it can glorify the father in so many powerful ways as a team. It's not only in birth, it's not only in pregnancy, it's not only in postpartum, but it's in so many other areas. What is the potentiality for your marriage? For the kingdom of God? How could it have an impact? And how maybe has it not had the impact it could because of a lack of teamwork in your marriage? And maybe having a baby just exposes some of the problems that exist in your marriage every day. And so let's shore those things up. Hey guys, let's love our wives. Okay in this deeper kind of way. I hope this was helpful for everybody. These are some reflections, some dad reflections of pregnancy and birth six days after having their ninth. I am so tired right now. But you know what? God gave me energy to do this podcast. God gives me energy to do things. And I find a way to get a little rest here and there. But I'm on my toes. I'm taking care of Angie. I want her to have a great postpartum. I want her to be healthy. I don't want her not to get mastitis. Although she's had it many times and sometimes unavoidable, even with all the support. Uh, I want her to have a great breastfeeding experience, although it's been hard. It's been really hard. I'll be honest with you. It's been hard. She's having a hard time. Be praying for her. And she's breastfed all of our babies as long as she possibly could to great diligence. I mean, so admire her, the perseverance she's going through right now uh, to breastfeed the baby, knowing that uh, Lysander, knowing that that's going to be best for him, that her milk is golden compared to anything man can create or uh, from other animals or anything like that. Uh, it's, there, there's nothing that compares to what God creates 
through the mom. It is incredible. And the challenges of breastfeeding, I just see her persevering. I see her wincing in pain, tears coming out of her eyes sometimes as the milk's coming in and her persevering to do it and sometimes having to put the excess in bottles and um, but just doing whatever she can and staying in her room and not able to even to put uh, clothing over her breasts right now uh, because it hurts and, and they need air dry and these different things that she's having to do and to isolate herself sometimes in the bedroom for long periods of time when she's a very social being. And I just, um, I'm in awe of what she has gone through surrendering her life to the Lord so that nine human beings, God's people, could be in this world, so that nine people could be raised up to glorify Him, so that generations can be created that glorify the Father because of her selflessness, her willingness to sacrifice her comfort and her body to do this. But you know what? I'm in awe of her, and I pray that I can be a better support to her all the time, and I I'm trying, I'm working at it, and I'm not perfect. And I'm sure none of you guys are perfect either. And I don't think wives should expect their husbands to be perfect, nor should husbands expect their wives to be perfect. But we should love one another and give our best and always constantly try and improve and have lots of communication with each other on how we can improve to better serve each other, especially during pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Amen? Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. For more resources, go to Courageous Parenting and CourageousMom.com for free online workshops, blog posts, and best-selling courses. Also, we wanted to quickly tell you about our six-week online parenting mentor program. Isaac and I created a powerful biblical curriculum. Here's how it works. Each week, we release a video with a downloadable parenting packet to make it easy for you to incorporate those teachings directly into your parenting. This is an incredible self-paced program where we cover everything from obedience training to overcoming mistakes most Christians are making. But more than that, it's a supportive community. You'll have access to our private online group, live webcasts, and the Courageous Parenting text message line where Angie and I can send you weekly encouragements straight to your phone. If you're interested in joining our next online parenting mentor program, secure your spot now at CourageousParenting.com. That's CourageousParenting.com.